listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. Please open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to go back over some things with uh, depart from iniquity. And uh, we'll get right into this. Verse 14 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We're living in a day and in an hour where this admonition is not um, accepted in the body of Christ. People want to be able to have their sin and righteousness too. It doesn't operate that way where one or the other we cannot have both in the house of the Lord. We cannot have both in the body of Christ. And so Paul reminds us in verse 19 the Lord knows those who are his. And that's very important because when he knows those who are his, it gives us an indication that he also knows those who aren't his. So we have to be very careful. A lot of us have said, I believe in the Lord, and that's biblical, that's fine, that's appropriate. But if you go to the book of James, the book of James uh, chapter uh, 2, we're going to see something here about believing. Uh, James chapter chapter 2 uh, this, this scripture is, is, is very very appropriate look at verse 19 you believe that there is one God you do well even the demons believe and tremble now we all know that the demons are not going to heaven in fact, when the rebellion took place as recorded in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 12 and also in uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 and uh, Isaiah chapter 14, when the rebellion took, took place, the angels that sinned against God are immediately cast into the lake of fire when all of this is over with. Now we know that in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 we see that there is a rank or an order of demonic power. And Paul said it like this, he said that that, um, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, this is Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. This order or rank of demonic power is here in the earth under the control of Satan. And even the demons believe and they tremble. So that's why when we say that we believe, we can't say that we believe but we're not born again. We can't say that we believe and we still practice unrighteousness. We can't say that we believe and we still sin. We can't say that we know him, but yet operate in sin. The true believers that know the Lord depart from iniquity. And so go to the book of 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Because I want to uh, make sure 
and we read it we've read it on numerous on numerous occasions we we read it over and over and over again because we we need to uh, uh wrap ourselves in the word of god even more so as the day approaches look at this in first john chapter 1 and verse 3 starting there that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and these things we write to you that your joy may be full so automatically it's pleasant to know that we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son but there are rules to this fellowship we just can't assume that we're in fellowship with God and then we operate in sin and thinking that it's okay, that it is good, and that it is acceptable before the Lord. No, it's not. Look at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I mean, because if there's darkness in him, then that, mean, that means that if we came to Christ, there has to be darkness in us. So there's a separation between what is light and what is dark. Verse 6 now. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we say, yeah, I fellowship with the Father. Yeah, I fellowship with the Son. But we walk in darkness. We're liars. And we do not practice the truth. Because if you're in him, your life is full of righteousness and holiness. Your life pursues God in his righteousness and in his holiness. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So here's the rule or the law, if you will, of having fellowship with God. The requirement is is that we walk in the light as he is in the light. Why? Because there is no darkness in him at all. Now I like how it finishes out in verse 7, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. His blood cleanses us from all sin. So if we happen to have sinned against him, we can always come to the Father by way of his Son and be cleansed of sin. So the cleansing is all, always there for us, provided that it is not, according to 1 John chapter 5, the sin unto death. Because the blood cannot wash away the sin unto death. That's when we defect from Christ. That's when we walk away from Christ. In the scripture that I quoted earlier this morning, uh, from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, that the Spirit speaks expressly that some will depart from the faith. That is the sin unto death. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Those are the ones that have sinned unto death and there is no amount of forgiveness and there is no blood that can wash away that sin. But for individuals that have sinned against God as far as uh, uh, their lives are concerned and not living a holy life as they should and they live a life of sin, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. What sins? Fornication, adultery, lying, stealing, using the name of the Lord in vain and so on. The blood of Jesus Christ will clean us from that sin. However, let me point something out to you. That if you constantly and habitually do these things, then you being born again is questionable at best. And here's the reason why. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, if the truth is not in us, then that means we're not his and that ties in with what we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 that those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity but he said in this as a pretext he said this that though those that are the Lord knows those who are his so we can pretend 
We can make believe. We can masquerade. We can put on mascara and lipstick. But see, God sees behind all that. And so he knows our hearts. He knows our lives. He knows whether we're in sin or in righteousness. He knows. But thank God for verse 8 and then we're getting into verse 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, the Lord is willing to forgive us of our sins when we confess them. But see, here's, here's something that we should do a little bit further than just confession of sin because if we just confess our sin and, and then all of a sudden we go back to it, then we're no different than a dog that returns to its vomit. And so we have to learn that when we confess our sin, we got to do something in addition to this. Now again, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But look at this in the book of Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs uh, chapter 29, I'm sorry, Proverbs 29. Uh, let's see here. Proverbs 29 and I believe it's in uh, verse uh, let's see why didn't I write that down I should have wrote that down let me uh, locate it and because I want you to see this Just give me a moment, if you will, please. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it is Proverbs uh, 28. Proverbs 28, look at verse 13. I don't know where I was on this computer. My, my, I got big fingers, so when my fingers hit the board, it hits something else. So, you know, please excuse me. But Proverbs 28, look at verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses, and this is the addition, and forsakes them will have mercy. So I know that 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is, faithful, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the confession includes the forsaking of sin. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And that's the true essence of repentance. Because repentance doesn't mean that you're just sorry. Repentance means that you turn from it and do not commit that sin ever Again, so it's very important that we understand this because if we if we if we just go around playing games, then what happens is, is again the Lord knows those who are His. He knows whether or not you're in the kingdom or whether you're playing games with Him, and and we don't play games with this because our eternal salvation is at stake. Our salvation is at stake, so we should not be playing games in sin. We should maintain our righteousness with the help of the Holy Spirit in obedience to the word of the living God. And that's very, very important. So, um, just want to run by these scriptures again. In the book of uh, Proverbs, go to Proverbs 1 and verse 7. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. I want to run just these verses by you again because I want these things to be evident in you because in the departure of iniquity this is where and how we should be departing from iniquity look at verse 7 in Proverbs 1 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction so don't despise it don't ridicule wisdom and instruction take it to heart because God is serious about this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is at the beginning 
of, of knowledge. In other words, if you try to get knowledge without the fear of the Lord, that's not the beginning. We must always start with the knowledge, with knowledge as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it. Now go to Proverbs chapter 9, Proverbs 9, and look at verse 10. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we saw in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. But here we see in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now remember what we, what we saw, and I believe in uh, Proverbs chapter 4, where it says, uh, get, get wisdom, uh, uh, and then it goes on to say uh, uh, that in all you're getting, get understanding, get wisdom, get knowledge that we need to get to, but in all you're getting, get understanding. So here we see in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So since the Lord is at the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge, therefore it is by these things that we get understanding because we get understanding from the Holy One. So it's very important that we understand this. It's very important because in order for us to depart from iniquity, it, it, these things must be clearly evident in us. These things must be clearly evident in us. So, now go to Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. There's a price that must be paid. There must, there must, a price must be paid. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to have started. In, in uh, Proverbs 4 and verse 7 it says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and in all you're getting, get understanding. So that's the, uh, the, the understanding part. In all you're getting, get understanding. So we read the entire verse. But now go to the book of Luke chapter 14 and verse 25 because departing from the Lord is going to cost you. I mean departing from, yeah that's going to cost you. But departing from iniquity will also cost you. Departing from iniquity will also cost you. So here in the book of Luke chapter 14 and uh, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot. Hate father, hate mother, hate children, hate brothers and sisters. Now it's not hate with the uh, attitude of Cain when he, slew, when he killed his brother. We're not talking about that kind of hatred. The hatred is about an order of things. That we ought to love God above everything else. Remember the commandment that the Lord was asked of in the book of Matthew. And he, he was told, he was asked a question, what are the great commandments? And Jesus said to them that the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So everybody else comes second, God always comes first. So it's about the order of things here in verse 26. And this even includes your own life. Do not love your life. That's pride when you have the love of your love over God. When you have love over your life, that's over God. That's, that's loving yourselves that rather than loving God. Look at verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my, my disciple. So that means that you got to hate your life, but you also have to bear your cross and you have to come after him. If you don't do these three things, you cannot be his disciple. Clear cut to the chase. So what things have you, have you kept back from the Lord that you know that is holding you back from walking fully in the things of God? What's holding you back? What's holding you up? What's holding you up from giving up that thing that is in the way? 
we'll get to Hebrews 12 and verse 1 because this is the antidote or, or the remedy of, 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 of uh, getting rid of the thing that you love more than you love God. Look at verse 27. Whoever, again, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then Jesus uses this analogy. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all. So here we see the word forsake again, don't we? Remember what we saw in the book of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He that confesses his sins and forsakes shall obtain mercy. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a tall order. You mean I got to give up everything? Yes, everything. You mean that whatever is the Lord is requiring of me, I got to give it up? Yes, it's required of you. You mean I can't hold anything back? No, you can't. Because he wants it all. Can you see why in the, tenth com in the Ten Commandments, uh, you shall not steal is there? Because if the Lord is your provider, there's no need to steal. Think about it. If if God is providing for you, there is no need to go into my neighbor's tent and covet his wife. Because God will give me one. And one for life. I, I, I don't need to covet somebody's car. I don't need to covet somebody's house. I don't need to steal from them. Because why? God is my provider. He provides for everything. Now I said something in just as a, um, a side issue about the uh, tablets and uh, it was in error that God writing on the front and the back of the tablets. That's error. I'm sorry, I apologize because the Lord showed me, he said, can't I use my finger to write all those commandments on one side with one finger? And I said, that's, that's a point. God is able to write all the commandments with his finger and have room to spare. If he could write big letters, he can write small letters. So they, so they were two tablets, both one on one side and one on the other, but all the commandments were on one side of the tablets, not front and back, so I apologize. So, so now we have to count the cost, because if we're going to depart from iniquity, it's going to cost you. Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Look at verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're to lay aside every weight and the sin. Now we all know what the sin means. It means that one specific sin that you and I love so much. Everybody has it. Everybody has one. There's no one in here that can say that they don't have one favorite sin. Everybody has the favorite sin because we, we, when we were in the world, we went to it all the time. Or we were introduced to it, and then it became our mainstay. It became the one thing that we centered our lives around. That at the end of the day, this is what I'm going to do. Or at the beginning of the day, this is what I'm going to do. Or at the middle of the day, this is what I'm going to do. We centered our lives around these things. But now the Lord tells us that we ought to lay, us, lay aside every weight. The weight is, is the, the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. 
But he also says, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. In other words, it's very easy for this to trip us up. I mean, we all have tripped up constantly with this one particular sin. But the Lord is commanding us to depart from iniquity because the Lord knows those who are his. So we can't go backwards. We got to lay it aside that we confess it, but then we forsake it. When we lay it aside, we walk away from it, never to return to it again. And that's why a whole lot of believers have a problem. They return to it again. I can vouch for that. I return to it again and again and again and again. The lusts of the flesh, pornography. I can tell you again and again and again. Until the Lord had commanded me and I obeyed his voice finally and forsook it. Left it alone. Don't touch it anymore. Because the Bible says that if you commit adultery, you will be judged. In fact, go to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Look at this in uh, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. In looking at pornography, I was committing adultery. Even though I didn't have the body in the bed, yet in my thought life and in my heart, I committed adultery over and over and over again. I know that is a problem with many people. It's a problem with, with many people because you fall in love with it, you become dear to it, and then next thing you know, it, it grows in you. And then next thing you know, you're walking as a hypocrite, and then there comes a point in time where you have to fess up and say, I can't be a hypocrite anymore. Either I'm in Christ or I'm not. Either he knows me or he doesn't. Either I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell. Why? Because adulterers, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. How will God judge fornicators and adulterers? Well, go to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 27. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. This is just used as an example of one of many other sins, but I decided to use this because it's an outstanding example. Look at verse 27 in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those who of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if we read out of the book of uh, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 4 where it says that adult fornicators and adulterers God will judge. What is he going to judge me about as far as adultery is concerned? Looking with lust upon a woman. Look at what Jesus said in verse 28. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then Jesus gives the remedy. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, we saw, we will see in a moment, uh, this portion of scripture in the book of uh, uh, Hebrews. In fact, hold your place there and, and go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And look at verse 4. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. In other words, you haven't reached the point where if you're going to stop sinning in your life, to shed your own blood. And see, that's what Jesus was referring to in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29. Now, is Jesus serious about this? Absolutely. We, we can't say, well, he, must, he didn't mean that. He must be talking in figurative language. No, he meant every word. He meant every word. Now, what you can do is that before you get to that point of plucking your eye out, just stop. I mean, you don't want to sit there and say, well, I guess i got to pluck out my eye. No, no. Find a way with the help of the Holy Spirit to simply stop. Simply stop. That's all. And you won't have to reach this point. You won't have to do Hebrews 12 uh, and verse 4. 
uh, that you have not yet resisted unto blood stri striving against sin. Look at what Jesus continued and said in verse 29. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus meant it. Verse 30 now. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. You see, that's the process of the departure from iniquity. The ultimate is to cut off hand and pluck out the eye. But you see, in order to avoid that, all you have to do is just simply stop. That's all. Just simply stop. So now go to the book of Psalm, Psalms uh, 34, which was our morning uh, congregational reading. But not the verses that we read, but Psalm 34, and look at verse 13. Uh, let me get my. Keep your tongue from, e uh, from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now watch the next verse. The next couple of verses. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So God is for the righteous, but his face is against those who do evil. So we are to depart from evil and do good. It's not just enough to depart from iniquity. We now have to do good. Remember what Paul said in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, if you'll turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verses 8 through 10 is where we're going. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we don't do works to get saved. We do good works as a result of our salvation. In other words, we prove our repentance. We prove that we believe God by doing good works. In fact, a good example of this, if you go back to the book of Matthew chapter 5, a good example of this is the book of Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 43 starting there. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who, dis who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes, the his, he makes his son, the son is his. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Go back up into verse 13 now. Verse 13 of the fifth book, of the fifth uh, chapter rather of Matthew. In verse 13, we see that we, we talked about this at great length in, in a series. Verse 13 in uh, Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and, and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine. And this is what Paul is referring to in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father in heaven. They want to see, we, the Lord wants the world to see our good works. For we are his workmanship in Christ, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are to display our true repentance and faith on Christ by how they see us behave. And so that's part of the departure process, but also the forsaking process. That we show the world that we're serious about our relationship with the Lord. Go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And look at verse 27. Psalm 37 and verse 27. The writer says, Depart from iniquity and do good, which is what we saw in Psalm 34. Depart from iniquity and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Go to Proverbs, the third chapter. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs, the third chapter, look at verse 6. Uh, verse 5, rather, start there. Verse 5. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So that's the third time that we see about departing from evil. We saw it in Psalm 34, Psalm 37, and now here in Proverbs chapter 3. The fear of the Lord, rather fear the Lord rather, and depart from evil. And this is the reason why we should. For it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. In other words, you'll be healthy. How many of you know that you and I, when we were in sin, boy, our bodies were wrecked. We were, we were some of us, not all of us, but some of us, our bodies were wrecked. But see, when we fear the Lord and depart from evil, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, look, go to Romans chapter 8 now. Romans the 8th chapter. Now remember the first part that we spoke of, that the Lord knows those who are His. Here in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's a difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. If we have departed from evil, and we are doing good, if we have departed from iniquity, then we are walking in the Spirit. With the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, because we can't do this on our own. But there is a difference between those who are walking in the flesh and those who walk in the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So if we're in Christ, we do not obey the law of sin and death anymore. We obey the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that law has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So in the flesh of Jesus, our sins were condemned. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. This, that's, that's something to rejoice about, that our sins have been condemned in his flesh. Why? Because God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On, a, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, how Jesus lived his life on earth, he did everything that was required by the law. And when he sacrificed sinless blood, when we repent of our sins and place faith on Christ alone, his righteousness comes on us. And then we are justified by faith in Christ. 
So that way when we walk, because we are to walk in such a way that men see our good works, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Remember what I said before, that, we, that our lives centered around that one sin, morning, noon, or night, whichever, one we, whichever time of day we pick, or we probably picked all three, we set our minds on it. But when we're in Christ, we no longer set our minds on that one or many sins. We don't set our minds on it anymore. Why? Because we want to walk according to the Spirit now, which is walking in life, in newness of life. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So now our minds are on the Spirit of the living God. Our minds are on God all the time. Remember what it says in the book of Isaiah, I believe chapter 26, that he will keep us in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. Our minds are stayed on him. In fact, go to the book of Colossians, if you will. Go to, we're not finishing Romans 8, but go to Colossians, if you will. Because if we keep our minds stayed on him, we can stay out of a whole lot of trouble. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Remember, put your mind on him. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Set your minds on things above. In other words, don't turn on things that will lure you to walk in the flesh again. Because we do have that nasty habit. That every time we finish church, we turn on things that lure us back into the world. And so we have to cut off those things because we know that that will attract us back to the sin that we said that we forsook. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your minds on the things of Christ. Set your minds on the things of God. Look, this, what this world has to offer, we should never miss it. Because it's the things of death. It's the thing that will condemn us. It's the thing that will take our life from us. But if we set our minds on God, set our minds on the word, and keep them there, we will have eternal life. Go back to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans the 8th chapter. So, it, so, so Paul goes on and says... In uh, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death. Remember what Paul said back in the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. There's nothing but death that follows sin, and that's why we depart from iniquity. Remember what James says in the book of uh, James chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15. He says, everyone is tempted when he is uh, drawn away with his own desires and enticed. And when it's conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, what does it produce? It brings forth death. Verse 6 here in Romans 8, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So which, what, which one do you want? Do you want death or do you want to have life and peace? Well, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal or flesh mind is hostile. That's what enmity means here. It's hostile against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. In other words, it never listens to the word of God. 
Remember what we read in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1 and verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise it. So if you're hostile towards God, you're going to despise wisdom and instruction. Because why? Because the carnal or flesh mind is hostile towards God. In other words, I hate God. God won't let me have fun. I want to sin. I want to have my cake and eat it too. No, it doesn't work that way. When you come into Christ, you are to live separate lives. The devil is trying to get over to you to, to make you think that God is trying to take your fun away from you. But there are righteous things that you can do that are more fun without sin. So don't be hostile because you, you, you believe that of what Satan is saying, that God is trying to take away the fun out of life. No. God is taking sin out of your life so you won't die. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The flesh mind now. The flesh mind is always hostile towards God, and it is not subject to the law of God, and indeed it can, it, nor can't, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you constantly are looking into your life. Lord, am I pleasing in your sight? Am I pleasing in your sight? Am I, am I doing things that are pleasing in your sight? Am I, am I pleasing before you? That's the number one thing that you ought to wake up in the morning looking forward to. Lord, how can I please you? What must I do to please you? And when you have that attitude every moment of your life, you will not do things that will displease him. And when we have departed from iniquity and forsake sin, that pleases God. But you are not in the flesh, uh, in verse 9 of Romans chapter 8, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not, he is not his. Remember what we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 19, that the Lord knows those who are his, and let those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. You don't belong to him. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. If Christ is in us, the body no longer responds to sin. It no longer picks up the phone when sin calls. You don't even have voicemail for sin. You don't even let sin have any play in your life. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, our bodies are dying. Each and every day we get closer to our death. But see, as a, as a result of being born again, having departed from iniquity and placing faith on Christ, what happens here? Our body of sin is now dead. We don't respond to sin any longer. But we now respond to God in newness of life, even in these death-doomed bodies. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So how can we depart from iniquity and stay out of iniquity? Well, we have to live the crucified life. We have to live the crucified life. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 22. Galatians 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So all of these things that are listed as the fruit of the Spirit encompasses what we ought to be as born-again believers. Because if we've departed from iniquity, then these things need to grow in us so that way we can produce fruit. 
But watch this in verse 4. I mentioned the crucified life. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've crucified them. We put them to death. Remember what we saw in the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 a while ago. That we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And that's what it means to crucify the flesh. But not only that, but with its passions and desires. Passions meaning the heat. Because, you know, when, when we want to sin, usually it's, it's the heat of things. Well, our urges and impulses, they become, they become full of heat and passion. And so we have to be very careful not to allow our passions to override us, to override our flesh, to override our spirit. So we crucified ourselves, we crucified our flesh with its passions and with its desires. In other words, longing for what is forbidden. If we've departed from iniquity, we've crucified what we long for, that what is forbidden. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit. So we saw what walking in the Spirit is about. If you go to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, Paul is going to say, you're, you're already in that. So let's go down a few verses. Uh, not, not Galatians chapter 5. Um, is that... Uh, let's see where... I mean, go up, not down. I'm sorry, up. Go up to the 16th verse in Galatians chapter 5. I'm sorry. Uh, Galatians 5 and verse 16. So Paul says, let us walk in the Spirit. That's what we read in verse 22. Verse 23, rather. Now he's, he's, he taught us how to walk in the Spirit here, but he reiterates this later on. And down in verse 23. What I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts or wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. In other words, the warfare should be intense, is always intense in you, but the one thing that you could depend on is the fact that the Holy Spirit will not lose. The flesh will. The flesh may if it gives in to it, but if we give in to the Holy Spirit, there's no way possible that we can lose. So that way we do not do the things that we wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What law? The law of sin and death. That was what we read in Romans chapter 8. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, wrath, uh, je jealousy, outbursts of the wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if anyone's practicing these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's why Paul admonishes us to depart from iniquity. So now go to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning Beginning at verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the, escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, when we're doing the works of the Lord, because we are saved, remember we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is what Peter is referring to that pretty much amends what Paul is sharing as far as walking in the spirit. 
Look at verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving dil all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, see it's not just enough to possess it, but you should be abounding in those things. In other words, there should be a big crop, a big fruit, big basket of fruit that is off of your, your branch. You are, if these, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do these things if you haven't departed from iniquity. But for those who have departed from iniquity, guess what? Now you can yield forth fruit bountifully. For he, verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. If, if we lack any of these things, we're blind. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And that's why Paul said what he said, depart from iniquity. Those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you're back in iniquity, then guess what? You have forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. In other words, make sure that you're in the body. Make sure that you're saved. Make sure that you're in Christ and that Christ is in you because you do not want him to say, you're not mine. I don't know you. We don't want that. We want him to say, I know you. And this is what's going to happen. I know you, so now what? Look at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, the doors will swing wide and allow you to come into his everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's going to cost us. There's a price that must be paid. Departing from iniquity will not be cheap. It's going to cost each and every one of us because we want to make sure that an entrance is supplied abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Go now into the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, I want to reiterate uh, the narrow way. Verse 13 in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it, which is what we saw when we read the book of uh, uh, Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, where we can't look back. This difficult way is narrow and it is tight. Now go to uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. Luke 9 and verse 62. Luke 9 and verse 62. And Jesus said this. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You're in Christ. Stay in Christ. Depart from iniquity. And then don't look back. For no one looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You've been listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. We're on Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Spotify, and Spreaker. The Minister's Crucible and Prevailing Word Live is on YouTube. There's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ found at theministerscrucible.com. Follow Prevailing Word Ministries Incorporated and The Minister's Crucible on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Vitester. Thanks for listening.